This is Bucket Talk, a weekly podcast for people who work in the trades and construction that aren't just trying to survive, but have the ambition and desire to thrive. The opportunity in the trades and construction is absolutely ridiculous right now. So if you're hungry, it's time to eat. We discuss what it takes to rise from the bottom to the top with people who are well on their way and roll up their sleeves every single day. This is Jeremy and Eric here with Bucket Talk, powered by Brunt. This episode, we have Rob Rojas of Rojas Carpentry. But before we jump in, Eric, what's been going on? All right, all right. Things have been rocking and rolling getting into the last few months here of the year. Hair's been on fire. We've been cranking all across the business. And uh, I guess one of the exciting things is we decided we are going to be getting back into the PBR this year. For those of you that don't know, professional bull riding circuit. Um, and we actually just signed our first and new bull rider for the year, Junior Patrick Souza. And we're super excited. There's actually going to be one of the earliest events in the season is actually December 17th up in our backyard of New Hampshire. So we're going to be going there. And then Jeremy and I will be going down to the world. So more to come on that, but super excited. What about you, Jeremy? Uh, I have a chicken that was sick. So uh, we did a quick uh, look up on Google and come to find out there's a disease called Merrick's disease out there and it affects small flocks and you're supposed to vaccinate at a young age when you're doing large egg production, but small flocks and small communities, uh, most people don't vaccinate. So it was interesting. We, we There's a lab down at University of New Hampshire, and I, this was one of my vacation days, was driving down to University of New Hampshire to take my chicken to a lab because the chicken was all messed up. It's paralysis and, and won't move, won't eat and whatever. So Essentially, we brought it there to be euthanized and then uh, have a necropsy, which was to take tissue samples and tell us if it did have Merrick's disease. Come to find out it does have Merrick's disease. It comes from wild turkeys, could come from any avian that's that's natural. And uh, it doesn't affect the eggs. It does not affect the babies coming out. So we could actually get the babies vaccinated if we wanted to. But it could potentially kill up to 50% of my flock. So we're over 30 chickens now. So uh, it's definitely an interesting disease. You know, now we can't sell our, our chickens to other people. But once again, it doesn't affect egg production or anything like that. And then if this flock does perish, uh, we can't start another flock for another year because that's how long it stays around. So thanks to the wild turkeys out there for infecting my flock. But if anybody has paralysis and chickens, definitely go get it tested. But that's my public service announcement for today. But Eric, what's up? Almost time for you to, to get back at those turkeys for Thanksgiving coming up. Um, right, right. But as a thank you for this episode, there is a code PIC10, P-I-C-K-10, for $10 off your order at bruntworkwear.com of $60 or more. Once again, code PIC10, P-I-C-K-10. 10. Let's dive in. All right. Today we have Rob Rojas of Rojas Carpentry. Welcome, Rob. Fantastic to be here. Rob, it was unbelievable to get to meet you at Makers Camp. That was my very first Makers Camp, and I was just absolutely blown away. Oh, it's a really, really great time. Just tons and tons of amazing people there to meet, and uh, it just every time's a good time. Dude, so many crafts and skills and trades were represented there. It was it was unbelievable. And it was I've never seen a group of people mesh and mingle so well than that place up in the Catskills. Mm-hmm. Basically, it's just everybody has a great time there. There's typically with the whole maker community, everyone's nice. Everyone's there to help you. Everyone's there to push you to learn. It's a fantastic spot. 
Heading get yelled at once, which is kind of uh, unusual for me. I usually get yelled <laughs> at for something. But, uh, yeah, no, uh, we're looking forward to doing it again next year. Just talked to Austin recently and um, super pumped. Probably bring more of the team up there, have bigger involvement. So I'm I'm definitely stoked for 2023. And, and obviously, we'll get to see you there and hopefully sooner than that. But, uh, yeah, what a wild way to meet. Absolutely. So, Rob, you're a carpenter by trade, and I kind of want to get a little background on how you got into it and just kind of hear your story from the beginning. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I mean, my entire life, I was always involved in creating things, whether it was when I was younger with Legos and clay, or I wanted to smash an old toy apart and figure out how it worked. And uh, really, the whole carpentry thing started actually in high school when I was able to use woodworking machinery. We had a class wood tech. Um, I took that a few times during my high school years, and um, my teacher, Mr. Wilson, was a huge influence on me, and that's where I really realized I want to work with wood. By senior year, I was actually taking wood tech three times a day, whether it was study halls or a class I didn't need to really take, or I was taking wood tech twice or whatever it was, but really, really enjoyed working. That's amazing because I was at a college prep school, and and a lot of people I've interviewed recently, you either had to go to a trade school or you had to go to a college prep school and it seemed like they lost home ec and wood shop and all that stuff. So it seemed like your high school kind of kept up with the wood shop. And we were very lucky in the wood shop aspect. All the other trade classes we had was uh, stuffed in the closet in the back. You had welding, casting, any, any other trade you could think of was stuffed in the back room, all old machinery that just was put there to dice. But, uh, you know, wood tech was, you know, still kept alive and, Somebody cut their fingers in one of my classes, so we got new saw stop saws, and I don't think they're shutting it down for a while now. <laughs> yeah, no, those things aren't cheap. So uh, out of high school, so you, you did the whole woodworking thing, loved it, got a passion for it. Is that how you got your start, or did you go on to college? Um, so I did go on to college after high school. I went for emergency preparedness, uh, cybersecurity, and homeland security. I have not used that degree yet, uh, being graduated for two years now. Yeah, it was just right out of uh, college. I just kind of started doing uh, woodworking stuff. That's interesting. Where did you actually go to college? Went to a University of Albany in uh, Capital, New York. So I'm 37 now, I believe. I have to ask my wife. But it was interesting because <laughs> when I went back to go to college and get a degree, because it's always been something that I wanted to do. I went into the military right off the bat and then you know went into the automotive industry. But still always in the back of my head, I wanted to get a degree. I took all my college credits from the military and and what have you. And that was one of the degrees that pretty much every one of my military credits applied to was that FEMA or the emergency management. And, you know, it was an interesting degree program, but nothing came of it. Is that something that you wanted to do or why did you choose that program? So I, uh, I've been volunteer firefighting for about five years now, and uh, I was really interested in all the hazard mitigation stuff and natural disaster type work uh, traveling around the U.S. That would have been very, very cool. And, you know, I, I still might do that one day. That's kind of a, a conflict in my mind going on, whether I want to go to the trades and push my Rojas carpentry business or go for the degree and the uh, solid, steady, nice, easy work at a desk. Very hard for me to sit at a desk, but um. Yeah, I just I went right for the college. I think it's the you know the the stigma of my generation where okay, you're at a high school, okay, time for a college degree and get that big money job. You know, and you know what? I'm I'm really finding that I truly truly enjoy the trades. 
what made it click? Like, were you just sitting in class one day? Did you get out and you were doing the application process? Couldn't get hired on a fire department? Like, uh, what was that trigger that like, hey, Rob's going in a different direction? You know what? I just, I never really did try for that big government job. I mean, I just, I was in the trades at the time. You know, I was, I was working during college uh, for Jimmy DeResta and uh, kind of doing my own furniture on the side. And I just kind of continued doing that. I'm like, oh, you know, let me just see where this goes. And then, you know, two years later, I'm, I'm still doing this stuff. I'm, I'm really enjoying it. I'm thriving. I'm learning a lot. And uh, I don't know if I want to change that. So, I mean, obviously this is about Rob, but you brought up a big name, which is interesting. Jimmy DeResta is one of the biggest maker names in the community and has an interesting story, has a Netflix TV show that my kids can, I come home one day and they're, they're watching. Film, yeah. But that seems like a dream job for somebody to just get tied up with the number one guy. Oh, <laughs> exactly. How, like, how'd you do it? Yeah. So, uh, I, I've been watching Jimmy for almost 10 years now on YouTube and he's been a huge inspiration, uh, in my making career. Just what an incredible guy. And I knew he was very close to Albany and I went back up a little bit here to college. I went to community college for two years in my hometown. So I was home for two years at uh, college while everyone else went off and, you know, got lost some friends there and then transferred into, uh, Albany university halfway through a school year. And uh, obviously I had to live there much further from home. So I didn't make many friends and uh, it was very quiet. I didn't have a shop or any tools to work on. So I thought about reaching out to Jimmy and just saying, Hey, you know, can I work for you? I'll work for free, pick up your dog shit, whatever you want to do. And uh, he just texted me next morning and he's like, come on by. And you know, the rest has been history. That's amazing. Cause there's two pieces there. Like one is shoot your shot. Like if you want it, go for it. And I mean, what's the worst that can happen? They say no. For you, it seems like it was the opposite. He said yes. The other side of it, though, is, you know, willing to work for free, willing to just start the experience, start the adventure, and not so much worried about compensation and just willing to do whatever it took to get your your foot in the door. That's pretty noble nowadays. I mean, that's another big thing I've realized recently in my life is like, I really do enjoy just learning learning, learning, and learning. And I went to visit Animal Trades in Tennessee. It's another name throughout there. But um, I just went there to help. And I, I wound up learning so much uh, while being down there on the farm. She taught me how to do some spoon carving, some chair making. And then I, I really want to make a Windsor chair now. <laughs> but, um, be, being able to learn is such a, a fun thing for me. So I just, I just strive for it any chance I can get. Well, it's actually funny that you bring up Anne. I got a chance to meet her at Maker's Camp, which was unbelievable. And we did a, a podcast with her a while back. And for those that know, I just started a farm myself. And I actually turned to her for advice and asked her some questions about pigs, dogs. It, it didn't matter. And she was, you know, I mean, she's a big name in social media when it comes to farming and woodworking. And she was accessible, more accessible than I ever thought she was. You know, And... <laughs> That was it. I just, I shot my shot. I wanted to do a podcast with Ann. She said, absolutely. I was on the podcast with her like a week later. She's absolutely busy. She's setting up the school now or building the school. She's got so much going on. She took the time out so I could learn more. So our audience can learn more. So sounds like you got some great role models in your life. Yeah, absolutely. I can't wait for that school to open too. Um, she, she's a fantastic teacher and uh, I can't wait for that to be another little maker's hub down in Nashville, Tennessee. Her story was pretty inspiring, you know, doing the corporate thing and then realizing, you know, it wasn't for her. And now she's living the farm life. And it was good to catch up with her same at Maker's Camp. But uh, 
So you went down there, learned a little bit more about about your craft, uh, spoon carving and stuff. How is it difficult? I've I've never actually attempted it. So uh, in in woodworking, there's a lot of uh, you need to pay attention to to wood grain um, specifically when you're doing you know fine woodworking and carving. Carving more so because say carving on a spoon of a bowl basically a small bowl. There is a lot of grain direction you have to pay attention to. There's four different quadrants of carving a spoon, and you have to carve them each individually different ways, or you will rip the wood out of the center. And I'm still trying to figure that out. <laughs> but um, it was really, really interesting to learn from her. It was a really great time overall. Yeah, I mean, I got, a, I got a little tongue lashing from Roy when I was learning how to hang an axe. And that was, <laughs> that was, my, first, that was my first time using a, a draw knife in... Uh, I don't know, and with metal and and cars and steel and everything, it's a little bit more forgiving than than wood is. So don't necessarily need to follow a grain there. Yeah, once once the wood is gone, you can't put it back. Like <laughs> yeah, I just glue it back together, grind out the bolts. <laughs> it's like nothing ever happened. That's awesome. So what do you do for Jimmy now? What's your day to day? So for Jimmy, I started out uh, restoring his old machinery. Whether his age just didn't want him to. Uh, you know, restore tools anymore. Uh, I was crawling over, you know, nine foot tall drill presses, band saws, things like that. We're working on a power hammer right now, and I have my own right next to it. And I'm also restoring. Um, but I make the ice picks for the website. Well, I print the posters on the old printing presses from the early 1900s. And uh, generally, I just I clean up his tornado storm of a mess he leaves behind. And you know, Jimmy being Jimmy's very busy guy, so he needs someone to clean up after. <laughs> I heard a story of him in his apartment in. New York when he was making all the toys and uh it was just covered in sawdust and he was sleeping on a couch that was covered in sawdust and just just putting his heart and soul into into all these toys so it was it was <laughs> <Sounds like him. laughs> exactly <laughs> so the ice picks those have been a hot item i've i see them everywhere yeah, they have been. Uh, I mean, the, the whole thing behind the ice pick is there's there's a million uses for it. When you first introduce it to someone, they say, what the hell is this thing? What is it for? Is it for stabbing someone? Well, basically, you hand them an ice pick and you go, here, use this for like a week or two and then come back to me. And you find so many uses for this multi-tool. It's, it's insane. Where you got to scrape your boots or something or you got to pick a small part out of somewhere. Or if you have a magnet ice pick and you drop, a, say, a bolt in a car, right? You're working on uh, you reach down with the ice pick, you pick that bolt up, no problem. Uh, scraping paint. There's a million different things you can do with ice picks, but um, it is a really, really cool multi-tool that is just literally a stick of steel. It's a little, that's it. Simple tool. It's funny that you brought up the stabbing thing. Well, I grew up carrying a knife, a pocket knife everywhere I went. And I, Me too. I, Me too. I never looked at it as a weapon. And I started getting older and older and older. And... A lot of people genuinely come up to me of all different backgrounds and they go, why do you carry a knife? And I was like, I feel naked without a knife now. There are so many uses <laughs> that I, I mean, literally from picking my teeth to cutting bailing twine to whatever, right? I don't even think I use a steak knife anymore. I just use a pocket knife. It's funny because the first thing out of their mouth is, you know, what do you use it as a weapon? And I'm like, far from it. Like, I use it for everything. It still holds true to this day. I mean, in the automotive industry, I I use my knife opening boxes. Like it's just it's that one tool that I I can't live without. And I could see the uses of of uh, the pick that Jimmy has. Plus, it's it's gorgeous. I mean, it's it's well. Oh, yeah, no, it's got that Jimmy Duresta style to it. 
<laughs> exactly. Exactly. I, I will say, actually, working in the trades lately, I've I've gone from uh, I did about five years of construction, and uh, that was a lot of field work. I did uh, trash chute installations in commercial buildings. Yeah. And um, doing that, yeah, you need a lot more EDC stuff because you're walking around sites. Uh, you, you know, you're driving around from site to site. You're in big buildings. You got to carry everything with you. In recent times, I mean, I've been working in Jimmy's shop. Uh, I also work part time in a molding and millworks shop uh, a little upstate. So we're doing, you know, molding, decking, flooring, siding, stuff like that. Yeah. And uh, all this shop work, I figure I don't have to really have EDC stuff anymore because it's everything's at your fingertips right there. Yeah, but the two things I always have is still my ice pick and my knife. Yep. Even with all that, you still need those two. Yeah, I know. I need to get my hands on one of these ice picks. So yeah, no, I mean that's that, it's true. And for those that don't know, EDC stands for everyday carry, and it's what you. I mean, I've seen it all across Instagram, and I get a chuckle out of it. Is literally the pocket dumps when somebody dumps out their pockets. Right now, I have a a horseshoe nail in it. I have fingernail clippers a comb like it's just funny when when people in the trades like dump out their pockets and what they have in it and it's usually stuff that they put back in their pockets the next morning when they go to work so awesome you're doing all this stuff for jimmy working upstate at the second job where do you picture your career going seems like you're in the beginning stages do you want to be the next jimmy or is it a a full-time like carpentry gig home remodeling like where does rob want to go so that, that has been a really, really big conflict in my life uh, as of late. Again, there's a the whole college degree thing, and it seems like more and more I'm drifting away from that idea. But, you know, being the next Jiminy, I mean, that'd be fantastic. Awesome on social media. All these different skills you can practice and learn. Uh, I'm also looking at my fine carpentry passion, and I'm thinking, you know, I should really focus and hone in on this this one skill. I can still keep all the other skills and all the other tools I have, but in terms of business, uh, I think to really perfect my craft and be the highest quality and, and most interesting design possible, I really want to focus on carpentry moving forward and really get my business off the ground. Rojas Carpentry is an official LLC, but I haven't actually done anything with it yet. So I think moving forward, I definitely want to hone in and get that plane off the ground. Yeah. And there was something I picked up on a little bit earlier. You were talking about next to your power hammer. So you're restoring Jimmy's power hammer, but on the flip side, you own a power hammer. Uh, I do. I own a, quite a few different pieces of machinery and tools and uh, all the trades, whatever I can cram in my garage and my shed, basically. Is that more for personal use? Or are you looking to flip or that's an interesting avenue in its own right? So I, I live in suburban New York, about 45 minutes out of the city. And uh, it's kind of hard to have a power hammer in your backyard. I'm pretty sure you get kicked out of town. So for the time being, I don't think I can keep this power hammer. I am looking at some properties upstate, get a little bit of land, build a bigger shop, you know, be a little more secluded. Um, That would be the ideal situation to keep the power hammer. But otherwise, I got it really, really cheap. I'm doing all the restoration work myself. And I'm bringing it back to factory specifications and everything. It's all machined and welded back together as it left the factory. What kind of power hammer is it? Is it like a little giant? It's a, it's a 50 pound little giant. Yeah. Oh, nice. Uh, pretty interesting story behind it too. It left the factory in Minnesota, went to cloud Minnesota, about a hundred miles away in 1930, shipped out of the factory, went to Michigan, a little rock quarry. It was beat to death there. Basically it was a pile of parts. A guy in Vermont bought it. And then a guy in New Jersey bought it. 
And then I bought it. It's been about 50 to 75 years that that thing hasn't actually been assembled. I'm surprised all the parts made it together. This is going to be the first time that Hammer runs in, in that amount of time. And I'm very, very excited. And you know, I'm doing a little video series on it too. Are there a lot of moving parts to it? Or is it a very simplistic machine? It's actually incredibly simple, but uh, it's a very, very interesting mechanism. Um, I mean, you got a you know a thousand pound plus base. It's very bottom heavy. Yeah, uh, it's got spinning shaft up top, and then it's got some arms and a spring, and uh, just wax on pieces of metal. Pretty and simple was, if you ever look it up. But and, very and cool was everything was the whole machine intact, and it was just more of an assembly, or or did you have to find pieces or manufacture pieces? Um, when I got it, it was the frame of the hammer and it was in five gallon, empty five gallon buckets of mayonnaise. <laughs> so, uh, parts were, parts were shattered. Parts were worn out. Things were torched, brazed, it, it complete basket case. Uh, the only thing good on the thing was the frame, uh, the hammer. So I've had to get basically all new parts for the whole thing. And I had parts sent back to little giant, which they, they still manufacture a little bit and repair parts. So I was able to get all that done. It was much cheaper to get it done than learn the new trade because I just want to, again, flip it. Nice, nice. Awesome. So uh, got a little potential side hustle, another little avenue. I know that that was a lot of the makers at Makers Camp dabbled in either their crafts (laughs) tools or just tools in general. I've been doing a lot of buying and selling, uh, I guess, since I could drive and I could actually go and buy and sell these things. I started actually doing Mustang interiors at uh, going to auto swap meets. Um, so I was like 16, 17 years old, buying ratty Mustang interiors and fixing them up, cleaning them up a little bit, and then uh, selling them for a pretty damn good profit. And then, you know, when you get into doing all this work with tools, you buy some things for cheap, sell it for three to four times the cost uh, after using them for a bit. You build your stuff up. And that's how I can kind of get all the tools I have today, too. Yeah, it was, you know, I did a lot of old car restorations. One of the biggest restorations that we usually did were Corvette restorations. It was hard to find original parts. So um, a lot of times we were glassing things or uh, respraying things. But it was interesting to find that we could make old parts new again. And, you know, having OEM parts was way better than having, like, aftermarket parts from like Corvette America or Mm -hmm. or what have you, the bolt holes never lined up and anything like that. But then what I started to find out was, is they carried a huge value. They're getting harder and harder to find. Mind you that, you know, we're talking, you know, the fifties, the sixties, you know, cars have been crushed. Cars have been Mm -hmm. in an accident burned. Like there's not many out there and, and to find original parts, it's kind of cool to have that craft where you can, you know, take, uh, an interior, refurbish it, and then sell it for probably more than it costs to make originally. Yeah, that is definitely one of the things that I started out with automotive, much like you. Yeah. Um, my dad always worked on cars growing up. Uh, we had a 77 Corvette we restored back to like new condition, had like seven layers of red, white, and blue paint. But um, that was, that was you know, I was handing him wrenches at that point, wheeling over tires. I couldn't really even walk <laughs> but uh then we got a 66 mustang that uh, we've been doing for the past few years and uh, that's where i kind of learned that interior kind of skill yeah but, um, definitely most most of my uh initial tools i had were all mechanics tools all the good old snap-on matco type stuff yeah i mine are in storage right now don't tell anybody um <laughs> it's funny because when i made the shift from the automotive industry to the farm i'm working at building a shop my own and I couldn't put my toolbox in my barn 
A, it would just get all ratty and rusted. But the other thing I was worried about was I was worried about, because it's so much weight in like a small area, I was worried that it would just go right through the barn floor. So it's sitting in, oh my God, yeah. sitting in uh, storage right now and it's killing me. But um, awesome. So thinking about blowing up and getting bigger with Rojas Carpentry, I think that that's great. Still entertaining all avenues and and directions that you could potentially go, learning along the way. Sounds like these are good skills to have, just keeping an open mind. Nothing's broken right now, so might as well entertain any you know anything and everything absorb it all until the time comes i'm, I'm learning a lot and I'm, I'm i'm really happy with how it's going you know it's just yeah roll having a good time <laughs> so what is one of the biggest challenges you're facing right now moving forward with my business i suppose um you know i've, I've been holding back on it only because i've been working probably seven days a week for the past six months to a year and yeah just trying to save money and uh you know, now I'm really trying to think, should I go for the big government job or do I just keep going with the business? And that's what I think I'm going to do. I mean, it, it makes me happy. So why not? Yeah, no, I mean, that's that's crazy. I mean, because you'd need more space. You'd need more tools. You'd need to invest in more people. Making that jump's always difficult. Ideally, you'd like to set up shop in northern New York. That's kind of where northern you want to be. Yeah, get a, get a little bit of property, you know, get a nice big building put up, uh, nice heated floors, because uh, laying on the floor to work on a car sucks. Yeah. <laughs> it's been, been many times it's been snowing, pouring, slushy, muddy rain out, and I have to get under uh, my old Jeep I used to have. That was uh, a breakdown constantly. <laughs> it's coming. It's like Halloween just came by, and all of a sudden we're like, hey, it's Christmas time. And you're like, oh, crap, it's snow time. <laughs> I'm uh, I'm glad I got my new truck, so um, you know I don't I don't have to work on it too much anymore. <laughs> what do you got for a truck? I know you're a Chevy guy, but uh, I bought myself a Ford F one fifty. Why? <laughs> I don't know. I was I was just fantasized uh, about having a Ford F one fifty my whole life. I just I like the style. I don't know. It was funny. Um, we were a Chevy family growing up, and it was actually we were, we weren't even a Chevy family. We were a General Motors family. I mean we've. We've owned Saturns to Oldsmobiles to, you know, Pontiacs and everything, Astro vans. But when I was in high school and then going into the military, I really liked the look of the F-250s, right? Never had the money to to have one. And then finally, finally, I was going to buy a truck. I go down to the dealership at the time and I was like, I want to buy. It wasn't a Ford dealership. I went to a Chevy dealership. I'd get disowned. So I went down to the Chevy dealership. I was like, I want a 2,500. And he goes, why? And I was like, I just, I just want one. <laughs> He's like, we, we kind of went over everything. He's like, you don't tow heavy stuff. Um, you're not hauling. You're not doing this. You're not doing that. And I was like, yeah, but I still want one. He's like, no, you need to buy a 1,500. See, that's, that's, the view, that's the view I took uh, buying my own truck. I mean, I, I don't haul any trailers. I don't need anything big. I was actually going for gas mileage because of how high gas has been, you know, towards the tail end of COVID here. Right. But um, I, I went with the the F-150, you know, the uh, suicide doors, so a little shorter cab, aluminum truck, nice and lightweight. And I went with the 2.7 liter twin turbo. I'm getting 25 miles a gallon highway. I mean, for, for a little pickup truck that carries stuff, that, that's all I need. Yeah, the automotive companies definitely went a different way. I mean, I picked up a 1500 and mine has the 6.7, you know, Corvette motor with the 10-speed transmission and all that stuff in it. And it just drinks gas. 
just absolutely <laughs> like literally can't pass gas stations. But I love it until I found out it was governed. That was a shocker. Uh, governed at a hundred miles an hour. Yep, yep. That was such a disappointment. I wish they had told me that like right off the bat. But anyway, yeah, no, it was interesting to see these manufacturers, Ford in particular, go turbocharge smaller engines, which was an interesting play. My brother-in-law actually has that same style truck and he loves it, but I got to disown him now. <laughs> Cut off, you're done. <laughs> that's it. That's it. No, cool. Yeah. Um, all right. So outside of work, outside of everything, uh, how do you unwind? Like, what what do you enjoy to do on your off time? So uh, I got quite a few things. I mean, quite a few things I like to do, of course, and not much time to do it based on that seven-day work schedule. I'm going to start pulling back here and try to get back down to my uh, my unplug schedule. But um, I really like practicing my fine woodworking, dovetail, stuff like that, not just commercial table work or you know little pieces of furniture. I'm actually into PC gaming quite a bit uh, with my buddies whenever I have some time. And then really my big thing that I, I always found extremely relaxing my entire life is getting outdoors, going fishing, hiking, and taking some drives down back roads, you know, discovering some new places. Awesome. Yeah, when I was in the military, I did a little bit of gaming because you just had, like, nothing to do while you were underway. I mean, by no means was I a gamer, but what are you into on the PC? You know what? I'm kind of all over the place, to be honest. <laughs> PC and Xbox, I mean, I've, I've always loved Halo. That was, like, my biggest thing growing up. Hell yeah. Favorite game ever. Awesome story. Gaming is definitely one of the, the last things behind outdoor stuff or, or woodworking, but it's definitely nice to just kind of sit down and, you know, not have to do anything every now and then. It was, it was funny because I, I used to play Counter-Strike. That was a cool game for the longest time, and then I gave it up. And then kind of being in social media and everything, I decided to take a look at Twitch recently. And it was funny. There's a... I sat there for probably about an hour and then I realized like, Jeremy, what are you doing? You, you don't have an hour to do this, but I was watching a guy play <laughs> the construction simulator. And so he was just, oh my God, yeah, <laughs> he's just like building. Right. And, and, and he's building, simulator too. It was great. <laughs> he's building virtually. And I'm like, what am I doing? Like you could do this for like, for real. And, and I don't, I don't know. It was, it was definitely intriguing and definitely interesting. And, you know, people are really, really good at, you know, virtual simulators and building. And they had, he had the whole setup and everything. I was like, this is interesting. It's a crazy world out there with gaming and PCs and the graphics have gotten so much better. The storylines and everything are, I mean, I remember playing, what was it? Like Grand Theft Auto, the original one. <laughs> it's yeah. like, it's like the bird's eye view. And now just like everything is, is unbelievable. Like leaps and bounds from what I grew up with. So Cool. Cool. Awesome. So my last question, and I like this one because it makes you think, what is the number one? Well, you, you did say it, but what is the number one tool as a carpenter that you can't live without? So what, what do you think it was? What did I say before? Outside the ice pick and the knife, but what would be the number one tool that you would tell somebody to buy getting into the trade? Like what's that number one thing that you either invest in can't live without like what would it be i would say a really nice set of chisels if not uh i'd say probably half inch or three quarter inch chisel just a really really nice high quality one that you keep razor sharp all the time basically if you think about it woodworking is just it, it's all compiled things of you know that, that work like chisels uh, a saw blade it's a bunch of tiny chisels on a, on a circle yeah uh, handsaw it's it's a bunch of sharpened little chisels 
uh, hand planes. They're just bigger chisels. Like it's a, a chisel does everything in woodworking, and that is probably the most important tool that I could not live without. If you're me and you're in the carpentry trade, my number one tool would be wood glue. So um, <laughs> I'd, I'd, I'd be taking too much off. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, that's good insight. Awesome. So thank you for being on. I like to turn the, the stage to you. And and if there's any place you want to direct attention to or anybody wants to know a little bit more about you or, or wants to talk to you, where can they find you or anything you want to plug? So um, first, my, my biggest influence, Mr. Wilson from high school. He's the one who really got me into doing uh, woodwork. I'd, I'd love to reconnect with him one day. And then uh, my current mentor, Mr. Jimmy Duresta. Everybody go check him out. Fantastic guy. One of the best people I've ever known. And uh, if you guys want to find me pretty much on any platform, it's at Rojas Carpentry, uh, no space. And uh, you'll find me there. Awesome. Well, Rob, thanks for being on the show. Uh, It was a pleasure to meet you in person and great to get to know you a little bit more on the podcast. And uh, I'm sure this is the beginning of our relationship. Oh, totally. man. All right, bud. Thank you. Thanks, Jeremy. And remember, use the code PICK10, P-I-C-K-10, on your next order of $60 or more at bruntworkwear.com.